Gen X Playback, episode number eight. Double your pleasure, double your fun. It's the Gen X Show. There's two of us. I'm Scott. And I am Sean. And we want to welcome you again to another episode of our look back on our favorite times in our lives, the 70s, 80s, and the 90s. And last time we we talked music, and so we're going to, again, change gears a little bit. And this is sort of what the show's all about, is everybody... And, we're starting to see more people come on board as far as listening to our to our podcast. I think there's a little bit of something for just about everybody out there. So it's we're trying not to stay you know typecast in one one area or another. So we're gonna we're gonna discuss uh, Sean. We're gonna talk about what you wanted to talk about today, which is cartoons. We are, and it's um, it, it, I I kind of titled this episode uh, as cartoons we watched as kids, and this these would be cartoons that Scott and I watched, you know, mostly in the seventies. But it it definitely doesn't include some of the bigger cartoons that we'll talk about later. Uh, that would have been big for the Gen Xers. I, you know, I'm I'm of course talking about the Simpsons. We we we're going to do like entire episode of the Simpsons. You know, I'd mentioned to you that. You know, Ren and Stimpy was a big uh, cartoon back then. Of course, you know, there's Beavis and Butthead. And right. you had said that, and then SpongeBob SquarePants was just kind of starting, uh, you know, the, the long-running cartoon, which is still on, which is, you know, really big for the uh, the, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zers. But what we're going to kind of concentrate on here are just the cartoons that we, we watched. And that doesn't mean that these were cartoons that were released in the 1970s. Yeah, I think it's important to, to note that because... Um you know, you'll, as we get, we'll get into most of the cartoons that we loved were probably created when our parents were were, were kids. Sure, but these are cartoons that you and I saw either on a Saturday morning or most likely after school. Right. Yeah, because in the in the days before network and and the kind of the infancy of cable television, local TV was very very important for us in in our area. It, it was rare for us to be able to, you know, we, we were able to get TV channels from Philadelphia. Uh, and then we had the local channels here in Lancaster and then um, Fox in York, Fox 43. And then also there was a CBS station in Lebanon. But for the most part, we were pretty true to the Philadelphia channels. And one of the things that we loved about, and, and we, know, we know there are a couple of listeners from the Philly area, Philly Reading area, you know, when we throw out TV channels like, uh, you know, Channel 29, uh, PHL 17, mm-hmm. uh, or is it WPHL as it was at the time? Uh, you know, it's going to bring back good memories because one of the things that we enjoyed so much was running, getting home from school, 3 o'clock, flipping on the, one of those channels because they were usually running uh, cartoons for two hours at that point. They were. You, you would get these block of cartoons. It, it was programming just for kids. The... You know, if you were on one of the major networks, you were getting the soap operas. But these these uh, channels, like you mentioned, the local programming, they knew kids were getting home. And they needed to fill time. I mean, they, there weren't necessarily that many syndicated shows that were available, or there wasn't that much out there for that. I mean, they had to fill hours. And you know, going back to ESPN, when they were first starting out, they were, you know, trying to find programming. And I think what they did that was smart was they said, okay, what goes on at 3 o'clock? You either have the soap operas, which the moms are watching on the other channels, or the kids are coming home from school. And I think they jumped on board with the children and decided to, to uh, you know, 
to run your own show, which in York, they did have their own live kids program, which was, did, Pete, yes. which was Pete McTee. And, but in Philadelphia, they, they just went with the cartoons and that's where you and I went. Oh yeah. We were not a necessarily a big fan of, you know, we talk about the Simpsons with Krusty, Krusty yeah. the Clown, right. which is so great. And we used to watch shows kind of like that when we were, when we were really small, uh, obviously channel six in Philadelphia had Captain Noah and his mm -hmm. magical arc. And that was probably the one show I remember watching that was sort of local programming. Well, we also had um, our, our local uh, television station here in Lancaster, WJL, uh, Channel 8, had its own show, The mm -hmm. Percy Platypus Show, which yours truly actually got to make an appearance on. Because if you, you could sign up for your birthday okay. and you could be one of the kids in the audience. And they would line you up and, and then they would pan across this lineup of kids that were there for that week. Okay. That was my, uh, my first uh, brief uh, foray into stardom there. Now, Percy Platypus, by the time I was a little bit of t you know being able to remember TV shows, I think Percy was off the show. And but Percy then, was a puppet for those. I mean, obviously, right. most of our listeners aren't going to know that. But it was the standard old formula, kind of a howdy-doody right. sort of thing, where this Percy was the, the main character, which was a puppet. And I believe the TV show that started up in the late 70s was called The Incredible Dr. Dud. Okay. Which was on local Lancaster TV at the time. So if you are a listener from, from Lancaster, if you do go back that far... You may remember that show, The Incredible Dr. Dud, which was also a puppet-based show. Um, Mary Jane, I can't remember the lady's name, but she was like the co-host of the, of the show. I think it was Mary Jane Landis. Yes, Mary Jane Landis. Was, yeah. yeah. But obviously, you know, that's just one show that's in our area. And, but across um, the country, you, have, you would have shows in every single market. You would, if you're a Gen Xer and you're listening to this, you, you know what we're talking about because you watch it because if you had a television you saw local puppets and and some type of like a mary jane landis in our area but in your area you would have had somebody who was the local personality there would have been some type of local programming for kids sure yeah and um it's kind of you know it's one of those missed i think little gems that no longer really exists to have that type of local program and i, and I understand it probably cost a lot of money to run something uh, like the production value from for a local budget for a TV station, I'm, I'm sure it probably costs a lot of money to do. It's probably a lot cheaper just to have something that's in syndication, right. where you know you have your subscription. I don't know how it works, but the fact is you have this programming built in as opposed to having to produce a program. Yeah, and it's sort of a shame that um, I don't know. Maybe maybe where we've changed as as a society where. Maybe uh, people don't think it's a good idea to have your kids go running home instead of doing their homework and flipping on the TV and watching kids programming. But hey, that's something that we did, and I'm sure many of you that listened did the same thing that we did. Where you you, know, you couldn't wait to get home from school and flip on the TV and start watching cartoons. So you, you, Scott had mentioned to me uh, right before we went on the air. You know, we kind of talked about the kids programming, and he had talked about uh, the, the the paper route that you know. Stayed in our family. It, you know, it started with our sister, Lori. Mm -hmm. She had it for about three years or so. And then it became my paper out, and I had it for about three years. And then Scott had it, and he had it for about three years. Right. And the, the way it worked in our family was, I think we got the paper out when we were like nine or ten years old. We couldn't, we weren't allowed to start until we were... We are little ten-year-olds with our bicycle, mm -hmm. with baskets built onto the side. And we're delivering papers all up and down the road, Valley Road, where we lived. Now, 
we have to, I guess, preface this a little bit. Our dad owned a bike shop. All right. So he sold some pretty high-end bicycles, too, at the time. They were called Concord. They were actually, the, uh, if anybody remembers the brand Concord, or, you know, Concord Bicycles, it was, they were actually the very first bicycle company to use Shimano bicycle parts. And in, as you know, if you are an avid bike rider, that Shimano is used on everything now. They're like the preeminent bicycle part maker, um, you know, out there today, I believe, at least in the United States. But uh, did we get one of those high-end bicycles? Of course, not. of course not. For our paper route? No. No, I think I think he paid like five bucks oh, for it. Oh, I think it was a trade-in. I, I think somebody traded in one of their used beat-up bikes for, think- for a Concord bike, which, which by the way... Uh, Concord, their big spokesperson back in the day was um, Roger Staubach, yes, so the, the, the the quarterback for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, the hated Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and we, we know this because there was a huge banner up in Dad's uh, garage w- yep. with Roger Staubach's face endorsing Concord bikes. I think, they, I think our parents actually got to meet him at a trade show. And Roger Staubach is a great guy. Because remember, they brought home those Dallas Cowboy bathrobes yeah. for us. Which yeah, they thought they were going to convert us into Cowboys fans. <laughs> yeah. It never happened. No, it wasn't going to happen. No. Anyway. But- so anyway, so we had this paper route. And uh, so we had it from ages, you know, 10 through 13. You know, and, and kind of the rule was that you had to uh, work unless you're going to play sports. So basically at our school, you could start playing on, on the school teams in uh, middle school. And then that's when we would give the paper out up. So then it would get passed down to, to the next person. Uh, I don't know about Lori, but at least you and I, Scott, we were notorious for delivering the papers late. Yes. Sorry about that for uh, anybody that we delivered papers to because... If you, if you lived on Valley Road, um, you know, as you, know, as you Sean just said, yeah, we, we had to watch the cartoons. That's why, that's why I was late. You yeah. know, we, we, we got him from school and I remember running off of the bus because the bus would drop us off, uh, you know, a, a number of yards away from where we actually lived and sprinting to get to the house so we could flip on the TV just in time so we could start watching these cartoons. We could typically, if, if we ran, we could make it inside the front door right at 3 o'clock. Yeah, right. And that was when usually, uh, uh, you know, cartoons started on, on TV. So we watched, um, for, for many, many years, it was, usually you get the warm the warm-up cartoons, which... Could be anything varying from like Woody Woodpecker, Chili Willie the Penguin mm-hmm. was something I remember watching. Yogi Bear, I remember watching during that time, and then the big build up to four o'clock, which was always Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, yeah. I mean, they that and when we get into the show a little bit deeper, we're going to talk about some of our favorites. We're not even going to hide the ball with this. Scott and I loved Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes. It, there's there's a reason why they're still regarded as. as maybe the greatest cartoons ever. I, and, and we were on board from the, the moment we could, we were old enough to understand what a cartoon was. Oh yeah. And I, I, I'm sure we're not the only generation that believes that also. I, my older two boys, I, I think they would be in agreement that Looney Tunes are the greatest cartoons ever made. So you're talking, now you're talking three and four generations that have watched these cartoons a lot of these cartoons from from Looney Tunes were made in the 30s and 40s. I mean, you're going back almost sure. you're, now. You're at the point where you're talking like nine, 80, 90 years that these that these cartoons are made, and they're still funny. They're Absolutely, still, it's just it that just shows the brilliance of the of the writing and the uh, you know the the characterization, how they're able to take 
these uh, you know these 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 characters and give them a personality and give them a sense of humor and some of them are kind of slapstick and but some of it just yeah I'll we'll we'll get back to that uh, right now the this after school uh, kind of programming for kids that was around basically from the time television went on the air mm-hmm. uh, so early on you you had the Mickey Mouse Club I mean our mom talks about that she really was into watching the Mickey Mouse Club and. Uh, you know, and that was from what I have down here. That's like 1955 is when that appeared. From 59 to uh, 55 to 59 was when the original Mickey Mouse Club, you know, the Annette Funicello mm-hmm. uh, version, uh, the club was on and hugely immensely popular. You know, television's kind of relatively new here in the 50s. They wisely figured out, the programmers figured out that while the kids might not have a disposable income, they certainly could nag their parents. Sure. And if you were a cereal company, this was an ideal market for you because we would go to the grocery store with our mom and we would we were allowed to pick things out. Right. Not a lot, but we could usually pick out the cereal we wanted. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, in, in doing my research on, on Warner Brothers cartoons, which was the creators of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies and you know, the, all, all the golden Bugs Bunny type cartoons that we loved. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of those producers and directors that came and went through the, through the years with Warner Brothers, that's where they would go. They would go to commercials, okay. which, which, you know, I, and again, as if you are a regular listener to the show, you know, Sean and I don't compare notes before we go on. And it's just, it's funny that you made that comment because that was one of the things that I read that stood out that, Hey, these guys are going to doing commercials. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it, interesting. It, 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 makes, know that. it makes perfect sense. Sure, it does. So it, the the idea of after-school programming had been there for a long time. The uh, Another classic show from that era was Howdy Doody. And, and, and a different show from the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, you know, went with, the, with the puppet Howdy Doody and, uh, you know, uh, Clementine the Clown and uh, Buffalo Bob or Buffalo Bob. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know this this you know was kind of a phenomenon that was going on after school. But there was the, this thing that kind of got developed later which was the Saturday morning shows. Mm-hmm. Now now Scott and I we watched cartoons on Saturdays. I think both of us still preferred the after school cartoons in a lot of ways because they showed the older cartoons. But when you would watch the Saturday morning um, and in the 60s, you started to get programming just for kids. And so a little bit of history kind of with the Saturday morning cartoon. The, um, they used to do on Saturdays, they started after a while kind of doing the, the local kind of variety, almost like a Howdy Doody type of show. And I had to think of, uh, uh, from Toy Story, Woody's Roundup. So okay. one of the original uh, shows for kids was Smiling Ed McConnell and his Buster Brown gang. Okay. And then... Then Smiling Bob turned it over to a guy named Andy, and it was called Andy's Gang. Okay. So it's kind of, it was kind of a cowboy kind of thing, and in a way, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the creators of Toy Story, when they came up with Woody's Roundup, which was Toy Story Two, right, which was you know, uh, you know, really well done, and the whole idea was there was this there was this uh, television show that was out there in the fifties, and you know Woody was a toy in the set that had been you know uh, you know put out back then, so. That, that's kind of how things were. But then in 1949, or I'm sorry, 1959, 
No, I'm sorry, it was 49. Uh, there was a producer named Jerry Fairbanks with, with NBC, and he got the idea of creating a cartoon, not just for the movies, because up until this time, you would have your shorts. You, there were, you know, Mickey Mouse obviously is, is the biggest name, but you would always have these cartoons that kind of appeared at the movie theater. And he said the idea of, I'm going to create or have somebody create something for television. And there was this character called, in this series called Crusader Rabbit. And okay. if you ever heard of Crusader Rabbit, but it was on from 1950 to 1952. It wasn't program for a specific time it went right to syndication but kind of what made that stand out was the fact that it was created for tv and one of the uh, the creators of the show was a gentleman by the name of jay ward who later on was one of the creators of rocky bullwinkle okay so it kind of gets its start here they they're still playing around with with, with program a little bit but in 1955 there was a show that was released based upon a, a, a movie character that had been around for a long time, uh, Mighty Mouse. Mm -hmm. So 1955, M Mighty Mouse's Playhouse debuts on CBS. You know, prior to that, it had been in theaters. I think he started in 1942. That kind of began the idea of maybe Saturday mornings could be something for kids. Then William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who are the big names in the 60s and 70s yeah. in cartoons, they created the Jetsons the Flintstones, they started creating some content. You know, the Jetsons weren't in 62. The Flintstones ran from 60 to 66. But then in 1966, based on the success of what's happening with these cartoons, every single major network decided that they were going to set aside a block of time for kids on Saturday mornings. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that held out to be kind of a, a prominent thing for... Uh, Throughout our childhood. Right. So the, the Saturday morning cartoons, and, and you will remember this, they would actually have almost like premiere episode or premiere parties on TV where you would set the, the time they would say, you know, NBC, tune in at Friday on such and such a date at eight o'clock and we're going to reveal our Saturday morning lineup. So they would do, you know, things like that and really hype it. And so they went from just having kind of regular programming to now there's going to be a block. And that kind of carries from the 66 for about 25, 30 years. It's pretty strong. Maybe not 30, but definitely through our time. Right. Uh, when we would have been kids watching cartoons in the 70s and into maybe the mid-80s. I would say that would be fair to say probably about a 20-year block. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it now becomes something where just like there's now programming after school for kids. Now they're programming Saturday mornings. And the cartoon really becomes very prominent. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% that advertisers and then later the networks started to see this as an opportunity to, for the networks, there was a whole viewership out there that they never really thought about before. And while they had success with earlier shows, like you mentioned, the Mickey Mouse Club, Howdy Doody, which, by the way, as soon as you said Howdy Doody, I, I thought back to the Happy Days episode, okay, where Richie Cunningham. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because they try they wanted to get a picture of Clarabelle, right, without his makeup. Oh, Clarabelle, I said Clementine. So yeah. you're right, Clarabelle, Clarabelle the clown, and uh, but it just made it just reminded me of that of that particular Happy Days episode. But it, they started as as networks and advertisers do. You know, they kind of stick their hooks in something, and they recognize the 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 money making opportunities 
that these this viewership now presented itself with and it sort of opened a whole new world of advertising to to these networks because as you said the kids might not be able to afford an atari gaming system correct but the parents can and if the kid is uh annoying enough mom and dad just might uh purchase that for you know a birthday present or christmas present or whatever so it 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 brought up all these then all of a sudden as as you could see during those saturday morning cartoons those those cartoon you know the commercials in between the cartoons like you said cereal games toys Toys. yeah Uh, i remember seeing toys r us all over the place uh for advertising um and then locally in our area it was lionel kitty city that was uh that was a big turn your uh, turn your frown upside down i think that was uh lionel kitty city but uh anyway uh but yeah it started it's uh, they, they saw the viewership and uh, I'm sure anybody that's listening to this episode was part of that, you know, that viewership that Saturday morning, you got up, you got out of bed, you got a bowl of cereal or whatever, and you plopped down in front of the TV and you start watching cartoons because right. they usually start about eight o'clock in the morning. They, they would. Now we grew up at least in, in a household, at least early on where there were two televisions. There was the, there was the main television downstairs in the family room. And then there was the TV that was in dad's office, which was a black and white, which, you know, wasn't that great. Uh, The reception wasn't, wasn't that wonderful. So you really wanted to be the first person to park yourself in front of that TV. So you could select which cartoon you wanted to watch. Right. There were three networks competing, you know, for, for what we we were going to watch. Right. I, I remember that, um, I would get up early on a, on a Saturday, because I, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. And there was there was a show. You were right when, when you say that the cartoons would start about eight. There, you could get up a little earlier, and you could watch the Cisco Kid. Okay, if you remember the old the old uh, black and white Western television show, the Cisco Kid. It was for me. It was the Lone Ranger. Well, see, the Lone Ranger came on after. Okay, because I can't remember. I, I ever remember watching. Well, the Cisco well that's Kid. because I was up early. You know, I, I, <laughs> it was the only day where where our, our mom didn't have to wake me up. Lone Ranger usually came on like six thirty seven. Exactly. O'clock. So the Cisco Kid came on at six o'clock. Yeah. Lone Ranger came on at six thirty. I was okay. up at six o'clock, and, and you know I would I couldn't make it to school on time when I was a little kid, but <laughs> I was there without an alarm, sitting in front of the television. As you say, I, I had my my cereal right there. I don't even know if I, I got a bowl and milk. I probably was eating right out of the box. <laughs> so I and and that's you know we we were we were locked in. I you know Lori or sister would come down maybe complain sometimes, but. It was a no-win battle oh, for yeah. her. She wasn't yeah. going to get that TV. We absolutely controlled the TV Saturday mornings. And, yeah. and fortunately that you and I liked similar programming. Right. So as a result, we didn't argue over channel. It, it, we, we knew which cartoons we liked, which ones we didn't, and it, it wasn't even a debate. Yeah. All right. So so let's get into it, and, start. and we'll, start, we'll start with what you have, okay. and, and I'll let you kind of run down your list, uh, you know, uh, uh, give you top five, and... For those who are listening, you know, kind of, kind of play along as well. Decide what what you want, and do not limit yourself to Saturday mornings, and don't limit yourself to just after school. And th- these these are cartoons. It's not it's not the variety type show. It's not Howdy Doody. It's it's uh, cartoons. Okay. So these are cartoons that you liked uh, and watched as a child. So the the cartoons that I enjoyed the most. Uh, from from a view you know viewing perspective, and this would have been Monday through Sunday for for me. But I would have to say that number one, hands down, without a doubt, and 
you know, people talk about uh, just say Bugs Bunny, but I loved all the Looney Tunes, mm-hmm. and it was it was Daffy Duck, it was Sylvester, it was Porky Pig, you know, Elmer Fudd. Every one of them was just so brilliantly done. Yosemite Sam, and hopefully, uh, if you would like, you know, we can at some point talk about Mel Blanc because there wouldn't be a Looney Tunes without Mel Blanc, and he is the the greatest cartoonist, uh, you know, voice characterization person ever in the history of cartoons, in my opinion. And, um, you know, he also played, uh, you know, I was looking at the, you know, you mentioned Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had, he was all over the place. What I, when I did research on Mel Blanc, I, I learned that he was the original voice of Woody Woodpecker. And, oh, okay. And, uh, they never changed at the beginning when they do the uh, guess who? That's Mel Blanc. All right. Now they did. They changed the voice of the character in the song, but there's still some the the <laughs> that that was actually Mel Blanc doing the guess who and then the opening line. They never changed. They never took that out. He wasn't able to con, you know continue on with Woody Woodpecker because there was a contractual. Uh, thing going on with the studio that he was he was with Warner Brothers okay and they wouldn't let him do any other work so he had started to do Woody Woodpecker and then Warner Brothers was like nope you're in a contract with us so you got to get out but Woody Woodpecker that beginning that's that I thought that was interesting because I'm, I'm a huge Mel Blanc fan I'm going to go back and listen to that again just to see if I can pick up on Mel's yeah. voice so I, I I found that interesting um so number one, number one favorite all time is Looney Tunes. Number two all time for me is Popeye. Absolutely loved uh, Popeye cartoons. And I think probably what got me started on, and we're talking like the old black and white Popeye cartoons, not the not the fifties uh, Popeye where Bluto come becomes Brutus, and they changed his name, and it. I think they changed studios, which is why the they went from black and white to color. And it didn't have quite the quite the humor in it. I didn't quite, quite find them quite as funny. Okay. But I think what what really stood out to me, and our our dad had an old eight millimeter uh, movie machine. Yeah, we had we had a, a little movie projector at yeah. home. And one of the movies that we had. Now he had a couple of them. He had Abin Costello, mm-hmm. which I remember watching over and over again. Correct. And then. He had a Popeye movie, and he had the Keystone Cops, and the Keystone Cops that he played on the on the reel as well. So that was like my first. He he's had. I mean, he had that from the time that I was born. Probably we would have this movie night, and it was home movies. You mm-hmm. know, so this is back in the day where you, you know, he would have the big camera and walk around and shoot some movies. Maybe we we would have gone camping, and then so we would come back and then we watch the movie where we projected on the one wall that we had in our living room. Right, but as a warm up. Just like in the real movie theater back then, right. you would have the comedy, the, the cartoon shorts. And so it was always the same thing. It was always, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Popeye and then the Keystone Cops and Abbott and Costello. And you're, you're right. I mean, when you were describing the black and white Popeye, that's what I was visualizing. Right. And part of the fun when you got to watch it forwards is we usually would end up watching it backwards because mm-hmm. that was to a little kid, you know, that's pretty hilarious when stuff happens, you know, in reverse, but so that, the, you know, Popeye would certainly be uh, my second. Now, f- as far as Saturday morning cartoons, besides Looney Tunes, I would have to say 
now we're getting into Hanna-Barbera because my favorite would have to be the Super Friends with, um, you know, the Justice League. And they had several different names. I think they called it like Challenge of the Super Friends where they would go they up against that, yeah. the evil guys. And uh, but, but the Super Friends itself and the Justice League, that was on for many years. I, I When I went back and looked it up, I was surprised how many incarnations it had over the years because it started – you know, from the early 70s, but it was, it was still being run into the 80s. 85. Yeah. From 73 to 85. For a cartoon, that's, that's a long, that's a long run. And, uh, but I was, I was on board because I thought, I thought the Super Friends were, were extremely cool. Um, so kind of give the premise of what, what the, the show, the Super Friends was. The Super Friends, instead of having all these separate shows, you know, you would have Batman, you would have, um spider-man spider-man you would have aquaman would, aquaman so instead of having all of these what, and they the, had that back in the 60s right you know, they, on the after school programs that we would watch there would be cartoons dedicated to the various super, superheroes mm -hmm. yeah and they make reference to it in in some of the movies but instead of having these these super you know superheroes fighting crime separately they brought them together into the Hall of Justice, mm -hmm. where they decided to uh, join together to, you know, fight the, you know, the the villains of the world, and do it jointly as opposed to uh, separately on their own, and that was the premise of the uh, of the of the cartoon. Now there was many different cartoon character or, or superhero DC comic characters that would come into play, but there was always the core that was there. And that was uh, Superman. Mm -hmm. It was Batman. Mm -hmm. It was Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would always see, occasionally you would see some uh, others like Green Lantern sure. would make an appearance. Um, what was the, what was the Indian guy's name? Oh, uh, I know. I, I, I totally know who you're talking about. Yeah. Where he'd become a giant. Yes. Yeah. And there was Hawk. Yeah, right. He, and he was, and of course, uh, you know, it's the super friends. You had your superheroes in training uh the wonder twins well before the wonder twins you had wendy and marvin and wonder dog they were on for one season do you okay. remember do you remember them i remember wonder dog i don't remember the the uh the the kids yeah they they did not have superpowers and they they were only on there for to us as a younger generation so we could relate to these superheroes it, it didn't make any sense to why they were there and wonder dog kind of had like a blanket or something or a towel wrapped around his neck trying to pretend he was a superhero okay but wendy and marvin on for one season they get dumped in favor of uh some young uh, uh, you know apprenticing superheroes who do have some powers and they would be there would be zan and jana uh, who the wonder twins the wonder twins and gleek was the he was, was a monkey was or their chimp. pet monkey yeah, yeah. and uh, Zan and Jaina Zan so what were their superpowers and how, how how did they bring these about well Zan well they had to they had to bump fists and say Wonder Twin Wonder powers, powers activate activate and, yeah and Zan would they touch say, rings they would say form of because he could only be something that was water based right so he could be uh, you know ice he could be could be vapor right and then Jaina had to be some type of animal correct. And she could be a she tiger. The she shape could be, of she could be elephant. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, they typically would every time they would try and do something, they would end up screwing up. 
And then the other super friends would have to bail them out. So I was just watching an episode the other night where the Wonder Twin power was activated. There's this environmental uh, disaster that's happening. No one else is there at the Hall of Justice. They have to go save the day because they have this big screen computer. And occasionally warnings would flash up. And they would say, environmental danger. Usually Aquaman was the guy that would take care of that. Right. But they, uh, you know, nobody was there. They were out doing other superhero crime-fighting stuff. So what did they do? Wonder Twin Powers activate. Uh, it was form of a hawk or an eagle and shape of a bucket of water. <laughs> <laughs> and, and literally, this is what happened. And so then Jaina, in her beak or her... her her little talons there carries the bucket of water and and this guy in the comments says you have the power to make yourself anything you want to be you could be like a tyrannosaurus rex and go say they no no you're an eagle and a bucket of water (laughs) well i guess you have to make a challenge for yourself right yeah you don't want to make it too easy but but it was always something like all right maybe and you know, an ice spear, or, you know, but a bucket of water. That was going to save the day. That's right. So, but that was kind of the idea is, you know, we're going to, we're going to have these, these, this group working together. And usually they were going against the Legion of Doom. Yes. The Legion of Doom, which was in a swamp and typically a lot of times they would be underwater and in the, their, um, their ship, I guess you would call it resembled kind of like a Darth Vader type mask. Mm-hmm. That's what I always thought as a little kid. Okay. But then that was the the leader of it was Lex Luthor. Sure, from the Superman movies and cartoons. Arch rival. Yeah. And then it also had other other characters who seemed to be like the exact opposite of the uh, super friends. Like uh, the Bizarros. Bizarro. And they would always, uh, um, they would always mount a, 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 you know, an attack on the world. And they would always be foiled at the end because it always had to end in a, in a good ending. You could never, you know, the, the Legion of Doom couldn't win. But yet somehow the Super Friends always let them get away. How did how did that happen? I, you know, they were just good. You just you have know. to tune in next week. Yeah, exactly right. And one day down the road, maybe 1985 or 86, they're finally going to take care of, of the Legion of Doom. Well, it's, it, you know, when I was looking at the Super Friends, there were obviously cartoons. You have like different types of voice actors out there, but... Uh, Part of the Super Friends, do you remember who the narrator was? I do not. That would be none other than Ted Knight. Oh, really? From the Mary Tyler Moore Show, also from Caddyshack, uh, Judge Smales. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he was he was the narrator. Meanwhile, at the Hall of... Yeah, that was Ted that Knight. Was, all right, Ted Knight. Um, Casey Kasem also had a recurring uh, role. I believe he did Robin. He was okay. the voice of Robin. And if you are a Scooby-Doo fan, you knew Casey also did uh, Shaggy in uh, Scooby-Doo. So he was very much a part of Hanna-Barbera. Casey Kasem, who is, in my opinion, the greatest uh, top 40 countdown uh, DJ of all time. Okay, just because I I don't want anyone to put down, you know, send us comments that we don't know what we're talking about. The the Indian character that you talked about was Apache Chief. Yes, okay. Yeah, Apache Chief. Yep, and he he would he would smack his hands together and he could get he, he would get big. Giant. Yeah, he was like, pretty he was pretty cool. Be like 50, 50 feet tall. Yeah. And his um his arch rival from the Legion of Doom was was a female and she wore like some leopard skin. And uh, isn't it amazing how the clothes grew with them when they <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they had some very stretchy yeah. uh, 
Because uh, you know, when, when the Hulk, when he got big, his clothes ripped. Right. Yeah, not, not with Apache Chief. No. Nope. And, um, you know, as a little kid, you think about things like that. Is how, you know, how do the clothes not tear? I, I bend my elbow a certain way and, or my knees get uh, torn and mom's got to put a disco patch on it or something stupid. So. Scott only says that because that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened. <laughs> Uh, Disco rolls, I think, was the name of the uh, was the name of the patch, and I was very angry. I don't think I ever wore those jeans again. But well, I, I can say, you know, when we get to my list, uh, you know, they, Super Friends are on my list. I mean, obviously, right. um, you know, they, I I think that was the one Saturday morning cartoon that uh, that was created in the seventies that I, I really liked. Okay, you know, I, the you know Bugs Bunny is also on my list. It, you know, it has to be. But when you um, but they, they were showing clips from, you know, before we were born, mm-hmm. you know, you know, kind of the golden era of, of the cartoons, you know, from the 1940s through the 1960s. And so that, you know, that, but those two were shows were shown on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, the, the fact that Hanna-Barbera was able to kind of put a little spin and, you know, for those who aren't aware, um, you know, Hanna-Barbera was kind of a big deal. They were, they were just churning out. The, the the hits one after another the um, the and, and I, I think they created something super successful they could run from 1973 to 1985 with basically the same cast of characters well I think it was uh, in in my research of of Hanna Barbera uh, one of the nicknames that they earned in I think it was the late 60s because at one time they controlled I think it was two thirds of all Saturday programming for all the networks I believe with, it and they were called the General Motors of animation. I totally believe that. Yeah. So I, yeah, they were, they were the most prolific at that time, much like Warner brothers may have been, or Disney may have mm-hmm. been, gen, you know, a generation before. So Hanna-Barbera sort of carried that torch through the, through our time period as, as kids, they were producing all the, all the newer cartoons that we were watching at that point which right. was pretty much Hanna-Barbera. Okay. So you say you have Bugs Bunny as number one, then you have Popeye and then you have super friends. Super so friends. What, what do you have next? Number four was Spider-Man. Remember the original Spider-Man cartoon, the nineteen sixty Spider-Man, Spider-Man. The, with, with the song, with the with the cool theme yeah. song. Um, I remember, uh, and unfortunately, it kind of got taken away as I got a little bit older. But it was on when we were young, and so I do remember running home from school because that was one of the three o'clock it cartoons, was, without a doubt, that we that we would watch. And um, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily geared towards when it was created. It wasn't created for somebody as young as me. No. Because it was a little bit more adult, I think. You know, Peter was, was an even though he was portrayed, I guess they called him a you know, high school student, but he certainly didn't appear that way on the cartoon. But it was definitely more grainy uh, than, than maybe some of the cartoons that you would think that would have come on at that time. But I liked the character Spider-Man. And so that was, uh, you know, something that I really... Um, you know, watched. And, you know, obviously people know who Spider-Man is and they know about the creator Stan Lee and, and kind of the legacy that has gone on since uh, Stan Lee created the comic book character Spider-Man, obviously all the movies that we have today. And the the 1960s cartoon was uh, one of my favorites. I, I really like that one as well. It, it was... Um, if you go back and watch it, and, and I have gone back and watched it, there's definitely a 60s feel to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the music, kind of the, uh, what you hear in the background kind of has that that hip 60s kind of beat going to it. And, you know, these are these are hip cats and... Uh, Spider-Man. It, 
Spider Man. That's it. That's it, right the there. Neighborhood Spider Man. It that and it was a great song. I mean, it, I think that really tied it in. When that came on, and that's how the episode would open. You you were you were locked in your chair watching that. And they they paid homage to that song in uh, in Spider Man. Was it the first one or the second one? Might have been the second one where when Peter decides to when Tobey Maguire kind of steps away from being Spider Man. And there's a lady in the subway, and she's singing that song. I don't know if you remember that. She's, she's playing for money anyway. Um, so my fifth one, uh, you know, it's a cartoon. But it wasn't a cartoon that was shown regularly. And so, you, like I said, you can call me a fraud on this if you want. But I absolutely loved Peanuts. I loved Charlie Brown, and I loved Snoopy. I think you knew uh, that I was a big, you know, I loved Snoopy. I had sure. books. I had the Peanuts comic because uh, you could buy them in book form. And so whenever we had a chance to buy books from school, I wouldn't, you know, buy uh, something that was, uh, you know, great literature. I got like the Peanuts uh, comic strips all put together in a book compilation. So, you know, you know well, I was, well not, not only did you have the books, you had the, the, the mug. Mm-hmm. And what, what did the mug say? It was Snoopy on top of the on top of his doghouse. And he said something like, I hate when it rains on my French toast. Yeah, and he had like his dog bowl out there. That's right. And you, because that was your like hot chocolate mug. Yeah, as a little kid, I you know I didn't even remember that, but that and also you had a Snoopy stuffed animal Mm -hmm. that that got was well loved so much so that that he lost his ear at one point, and mom didn't sew the ear back on again. No, she sewed the whole shut. Sewed the whole shut, but I I kept that thing for uh, for many years after. Yeah, so no, he, it was legitimate. This guy was a very big Snoopy fan. If I didn't know what to get him for Christmas, uh, I could always find, if there was something Snoopy, he was going to be happy. So, you know, the fact that it wasn't shown daily, uh, you know, Peanuts, you looked forward to the holidays because right. they would always have the Peanuts cartoons, which they still show to this day. And all of all of my kids know the, uh, the Peanuts, uh, you know, cartoons that come on at the holidays, especially Christmas. And, and and Thanksgiving and it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown and um, I always liked how the adults you never heard their voices it was wah, 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 wah. which yeah you have no you weren't you were lost in your own little world particularly if you're watching TV and these were little adults the the Peanuts gang that you had there you know obviously you mentioned Charlie Brown you know you had Snoopy his dog there you know there was Linus there was uh, Lucy the uh, um, peppermint patty it was always whenever peppermint patty would kind of show up with a, a little bit of sass going on and, and marcy, marcy as her as her sidekick mm-hmm. and you know they were probably going to get chuck and uh snoopy into trouble yeah so that was uh that was number i put it number five because it wasn't again it wasn't a daily cartoon but it was still an uh, for me a very important cartoon for my for my younger days so now did you have any any honorable mentions or near misses so i mean you know i had a list of of the cartoons that were on, but let's face it. Some of these cartoons, they didn't last very long. Okay. So one of the, I was just going through the list. Obviously I watched Scooby-Doo. Sure. I think everybody who is listening to this podcast would agree with me that, well, you know, as a kid, you only had so many channels that you could choose from. So you kind of stuck with a cartoon. It may not be great in your mind, and I'm, there are probably people listening to this who are like, how can you not put Scooby-Doo on your list? That's one of the greatest cartoons of all time. I watched it every week, but it just wasn't one of my favorites. You even watched it when they added that annoying little Scrappy to the uh, to the cast. I, 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 you know, we, you know, 
you the the phrase "jump the shark" is thrown out there <laughs> with you know like Happy Days when Fonzie jumps over the shark with the when he's on the uh, the water skis and it, to me that's kind of what happened with with Scooby Doo when Scrappy came on board I was I checked out yeah and uh, but it has one of the great catchphrases of all time you know at the very end whenever they reveal who it was and they always wear a mask <laughs> right and then they say I would have gotten away with it too if it wouldn't have been for you meddling kids that's right and they would have. Yeah, but you know, you know the you know Shaggy and Scooby and Thelma and Fred, Fred and uh, Daphne. They, Daphne. They they stepped up. You know, they 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 ran around there in the mystery machine looking to solve crime, and you know they did their job well. Freddie Prince uh, Jr. played Fred as they they when they remade Scooby Doo into a live action movie. Mm-hmm. In the was that I think that was the late nineties, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. So, so that, you know, I would put it on as an honorable mention because I did watch it a lot. You know, I watched it every week, but it didn't, it didn't make my top five. One, uh, one that wasn't on very long, but I did watch it every week was Captain Caveman. Uh, that was another Hanna-Barbera. Sure. And that was another one that was voiced by Mel Blanc. And that one, you can tell it's Mel Blanc when he does the voice. Yeah. Uh, another one that I used to watch when it was on was Speed Buggy. I used to watch that a lot. And Yogi Bear, I watched Yogi Bear all the time. Uh, I did watch the Jetsons, the Flintstones, um, Huckleberry Hound. Mm-hmm. I like Huckleberry Hound. Quick Draw McGraw. Yeah, that, I was a fan. And uh, you know, so those those were definitely cartoons that I that I watched on a regular basis. Particularly, Yogi Bear started to make that afternoon after school rotation. And so certainly, any if it it was almost like. Um, you know, if it hit that sweet spot of mm-hmm. three and four o'clock between three to five, then I was I was I was hooked. I was going to watch it no matter what. I had mentioned Woody Woodpecker earlier. Uh, that was another one that that was on that three to five time frame. So I watched that as well. Chili Willie mm-hmm. was on there too. So those were all cartoons that would probably be honorable mention. Yep, and and, and a good list. So I'll give you my list as well, and you know we can talk about some of those. Uh, you know. For me, number one is Bugs Bunny. It it it's always Bugs Bunny, and and you talked about there's different types of, uh, you know, names of the show. You would have Bugs Bunny and Friends, Bugs and Daffy, Bugs and Roadrunner, but it was always Bugs. Bugs was always the star. It, the have some. I, I looked it up, and you know, it started on CBS, whatever name it went by, uh, in 1968, and went from 68 to 73 in CBS. It then went to ABC, from 73 to 75. And then it was on back on CBS again from 75 through 85, which would have been kind of the prime years that, that was, we were watching. Yeah, that was my time frame. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know if you were, you think you were singing this before we went on the air, but the theme that they always came out was This Is It, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That was the theme from 1960 through 1984. Okay. And I think they went back to it later. They changed it briefly because, you know, it's like New Coke. You got to mess with the formula at some point. But, you know, what a classic song is, you know, we... You know, as we say, we don't talk about this. Before we we started recording, Scott was literally sitting here singing. This is it. <laughs> it was. You know what heights I hit, right? <laughs> on with the show. This is it. And just you know, I, and I'll throw a couple other characters out that I liked quite a bit was Falkhorn Leghorn. Right. You know, he did not get mentioned. Um, uh, Pepe Le Pew. I, you know, he was he was somebody that. Uh, was one obnoxious skunk, and he was always going after uh, cats that happened to to walk underneath a freshly painted white fence, uh-huh. and he would just fall in love. And and well, I he was French; he couldn't. He you was know, French; he couldn't help himself. Yeah, he couldn't help himself. And I personally love Speedy Gonzalez. Okay, I, I thought Speedy was funny. 
And they don't show Speedy anymore. That's a shame. Yeah, they took Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, you know, you, you don't even they don't even televise those anymore. Um, but yeah, Speedy. Um, and what was his what was his uh, cousin's name? Slowpoke Rodriguez. Slowpoke Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Too. Oh, Speedy. But he was always hungry. Yes. And he'd always get everybody into trouble because he wanted to walk across the kitchen slowly to go get something to eat. And, of course, the uh, the cat was there waiting for them. And Speedy would have to run out and save the day because Slowpoke was always about ready to be eaten by the cat. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, Daffy Duck, Elmer mm-hmm. Fudd, yeah. Yosemite Sam, Porky Pig. Uh, what am I missing? Wiley Coyote. Tweety Bird, Wiley Coyote. Uh, you know, Wiley Coyote uh, wasn't in, in the beginning. There was no commentary; like there were no voices. Correct. And then, and then later on, Wiley got a, a started to talk because he became Wiley Coyote super genius, <laughs> and, and he always ordered things from Uline. I mean, the Acme Company, because they have everything in stock. Yeah. So before Amazon, there was the Acme there Company. Was Acme, and yeah. you know, just like Amazon today, you know, he would get pretty quick shipping. Yeah, he, he would put that order in, and suddenly that anvil that he was you know going to hang from from some cliff somewhere was ready to fall on top of the Roadrunner. And how did he make money? Because obviously the Acme Company, unless he had a big credit account, I don't know. I, you know, good question. You know, and what some of the the um, the people that were responsible for uh, the Bugs Bunny and uh, Looney Tunes, uh, you know, are kind of you know names that. Um, you know, when you go back and you watch, at least you and I, we'd always kind of look for who the director was, mm-hmm. you know. And so Chuck Jones. If you would see a Chuck Jones, Bugs Bunny, you knew it was going to be good. Ch- uh, Chuck Jones, Frizz Freeling. Uh, Tex Avery. Tex Avery. Those those are kind of like the, the big three for Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, it's kind of in their heyday. Right. And, the uh, you know, as I did research on Warner Brothers, those were the three guys that got the biggest budgets. From what I understand, they were okay. the, because they they were they were hitting home runs all the time, so they got the most money to work with. So they could get more writers, they could get better animation. If you notice some of the some of the Looney Tunes cartoons, they said that if you look at the the you know the quality of the uh, of the film, you'll notice that the film quality isn't as good, and that was because Warner Brothers had this pecking order, and the, kind of the up and coming directors. They had to work with the bad, the, the poor quality. Meanwhile, you know the, the Chuck Jones and, and the people that we just talked about. Sure. They got they got the they got the big budgets, but they were bringing in lots of people because, as you said, you know when somebody would go to the movie theater back in the in the forties fifties, they would always show some type of a warm up, whether it was the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. You, you know, in many cases in the thirties. You're looking at they would show a Three Stooges short and maybe a cartoon before the actual feature picture, so that you know people kind of made a night of going to the movies instead of just going to watch one thing. And sometimes people would go to watch the Three Stooges and whatever cartoon short was there. And oh, by the way, we'll stick around and watch the movie. Yeah, when they found out, and that was really something that uh, kind of getting off the cartoons, but the, that the Three Stooges found out is one of they finally learned that people were coming to the movie theaters just to watch their shorts. And some people were actually leaving after they saw the cartoon and the shorts. And that's how popular. And when we look back on it, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later, it, we can understand why, because those things still, they still hold up over time. 
we sat there when you know when you and I were watching cartoons with my kids when they were smaller. We would pop Looney Tunes on, and they're laughing just as hard as we. But we're still laughing too, right? You know, we're older, and we still you you pick up on nuances of the cartoons that you might not have picked up on. You know what a and that's I guess that's the essence of a of a good cartoon that is very you know gets the whole family involved. Is they're not just going for that one kind of that quick you know that quick joke the cheap joke you know they're they're actually writing stuff and it could be something as as simple as when one of the characters does something and then it goes the shot goes to the other character on the cartoon and they just look at the camera and just just the timing of it and they were they were ahead of their game put it that way well tex avery yeah, to to mention him, he was uh, kind of responsible for that kind of recurring character where when somebody would look at an attractive woman, they'd turn into a wolf. Okay. And they, the eyes would bug out yeah. and, and they'd go, woo-hoo, and start, you know, like uh, stomping their foot and they would actually morph into a wolf. Well, as a kid... I just thought it, being a wolf was funny. Right. Now as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, because he's looking at the girl and now that's making his tongue hang out and he's, he's, he's a wolf. So it, that, and also you talk about watching the cartoons with your kids. And I knew that you had a big influence on your children when one day I was having a discussion with, I think it was your, your son Gavin was like six or seven years old and we were discussing uh, Looney Tunes. And an episode, and he told me it was a Chuck Jones episode. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is that is impressive that you are now breaking it down to who created the episode. So good for you, Gavin. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, they, um, to their credit, they, some, I guess sometimes you can say that the, that the kids don't always um, show that they're listening to what you're saying. Right. But, and and I'm sure it became a lot of white noise in the background. Yeah, yeah, Dad. Okay, this is Duran Duran. Yeah, Dad. This is Van. You know, it's yeah. like. But when uh, I know when when my older kids were in college, and their professors who were Gen Xers too, start bringing up references for oh probably nobody knows who and our kids are like yeah yeah I know I know exactly who you're talking about, and then it got to the point where the professor would make some kind of a reference and they would say does anybody besides Gavin know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And so that was that was kind right. of the running joke in school when when he was still there. So there you go. For me, Bugs Bunny um, and all the the Looney Tune cast members, Runaway number one, not even close. Number two for me was Super Friends. I I loved superheroes. I as as a kid before the the Super Friends franchise even started, I was just like my brother. I was watching the after school cartoons, uh, Spider Man. It was one of my absolute favorite movies, the the 1960s Spider-Man. I would plan my schedule around it. Um, so when I would do the same thing with Superman, I loved the Batman, everything, anything that was superhero, I was into. So then when they put all of them together, and I could I could see every Saturday I was going to get to see not just one, not two, five, maybe maybe eight different superheroes and villains together fighting crime and solving at the end of the program. I, I was all in, uh, you know, one of the, another cartoon that started in the late nineties that, uh, you know, you and I found very funny as family guy. Sure. And, uh, part of, like you said, one of the recurring characters was always Aquaman. Mm -hmm. And so they did a pretty funny spoof on that where 
you know, that's worse than like being saved by Aquaman that shows a woman being attacked on the beach and Aquaman's out there going, Hey, I'm going <laughs> to come on out here. I'm going to beat you. You know, it's like, he's you know, can't do anything cause he's in the water. Uh, but on super friends, Aquaman was dealing with all those, those disasters that were going to happen to the ocean. That's you right. Know, he was, he was the man Johnny on the spot there, uh, out in the ocean. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of broke down a, a lot of, of what the series was about, but absolutely, you know, for a Saturday morning, if it wasn't bugs, it was Super Friends. Yeah, why didn't Zan make himself like an ocean uh, instead of a bucket, instead of a bucket of water? Right? What's what's you, going on there? We go back to YouTube after we're done. I'll, <laughs> I'll show you the clip, and you can see him actually getting into a bucket of water to go fight something. I, it's bizarre to me. Okay. So, anyways, outside of the Wonder Twins, was I didn't really care for the Wonder Twins, and and you know, but the rest of the Super Friends, I was all over. So, those are my top two. Number three. Uh, was a Japanese uh, cartoon. Uh, I'm sure many of you will remember this one, Speed Racer. I really like Speed Racer. That was something that, once again, we did not see on a Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Syndication, you know, Speed Racer was basically shot in one year. So from April 1967 to March 1968 over in Japan, they just banged out 52 episodes. And then it came over to America kind of about the same time. What's really funny about the show, I thought it was funny back then, even funnier now, when you watch it, the fact that it's, it's Japanese and they're trying to put the dialogue to match up with the voices. So they're speaking very chopped, and you know, they're, they're, their speech is very chopped. Yes. And so they have a lot of run-on sentences because they have to get out really fast because they're going to stop talking soon. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. But, you know, the... the and I'll throw some of the, the, the names out there uh, for people. And if you can remember Speed, he was this this 18-year-old racing prodigy. I couldn't have told you how old he was. Well, I had to look it up, but he was, he was, he was young because, you know, we, we always knew he, he was, you know, he's, he's living with his parents. He's got his younger brother there because, and, you know, the younger brother was Spritle. Spritle. Spritle's really young. I mean, Spritle, I don't know if they gave his age, but he's only like six or, or something like that. And then he has this, um, you know, older brother, Rex, who who got in a you know who becomes racer but I'll, I'll get to him so we'll run down the characters so the speed racer uh that that was the american name for the main character and if those of you can remember speed you know he always uh you know uh had, had that blue shirt on scarf and he always had the scarf he, and he always raced in a car with with red socks on you know so he was and his car was the fabulous mach 5, mach 5. which was designed and built by his father Pops. Pops, who was the, um, who was a, a professional wrestler who was turned car. <laughs> I, I only know this because I went back and watched it again. Okay. okay. And in the, in, do you remember the Mammoth Car episode? No, I don't. Oh, all right. So, so there's this episode. It's a two parter because it's so it's so big. Where cliffhanger? It is a cliffhanger where they they're in this any car is allowed in the race. So speed. I should backtrack. So speed has the the Mach five and they enter these races kind of around the world. And in a way, they're, they're these, they're not, for the most part, they're kind of like on regular courses. And they, in this particular episode, any vehicle's allowed. And then okay. this mammoth car comes out, and it's almost like a train on wheels. And he, you know, he, he's, he's fighting against the, the, the mammoth car. And so he's looking for a co pilot. And everyone's fighting over being the co pilot. Eventually, his girlfriend, Trixie, who is oftentimes in the show, we'll see her flying a helicopter, but here she wants to be the co-pilot. Pops 
uh, Speed's dad, who is the inventor of the car, also the car owner, is he decides he wants to, to get in the car, and so he starts doing some exercises, and he, of course, starts, throws his back out. And he gets all upset with himself, and he's like, he goes, well, you know, I was once this very fam- famous wrestler called Dragon Racer. Okay. And so he's was a professional wrestler, and, and Pops is this big, burly guy. Right. Yeah. He's got this mustache, and he's he's a hothead. And he's always losing his temper. He's always, always screaming. Always yelling, yeah. He's always yelling. In fact, I, I watched a documentary where the the voice actor that portrayed Pops, he did some of the other characters as well. But they would always save the lines that he had for Pops till the end of the episode because he would lose his voice. Because Pops did nothing but yell. Mm-hmm. So you, you have the dad, Pops, who's the, who's the inventor. You know, I talk about the little brother who's Spritel. And he had this pet chimpanzee called Chim Chim. Chim Chim. Okay. And so Spradle and Chim Chim were always getting into trouble. They right. all, and they would always wear like these matching jumpsuits. So they would, uh, they would sneak into the trunk of the car frequently. And, you know, oftentimes they would uh, get, uh, you know, caught, you know, somewhere along the way. But sometimes they would actually help solve some of the, uh, the, the issues that they were having out there. And, but they, they also were known for loving candy. <laughs> they all they, they when it you know spoiler alert here it, it, it came out you know 54 years ago folks so you know i'm not ruining anything but they actually do defeat the mammoth car of course and it turns out the ma- that the mammoth car secretly was made out of 50 million dollars worth of gold they, they they because they're looking to they stole the gold from oh. the from the the japanese treasury right and they're trying to get it out of the country and so they they me- they made it into the body of the car at the end of the race, there's this big fire, and the and and Spreadle and Chim Chim are responsible for a lot of what happens to help you know foil the the plot that is going on. <laughs> Did and they it, start the fire on purpose? Or was no, there was, there was like an explosion at oh, the end because okay. of, and so as a result, the fire causes the the mammoth car to melt, and then you it's revealed that it's the gold, and then afterwards, uh, you know Spreadle and Chim Chim they're upset because you know Speed he won the race. And, you know, he kind of gets this, you know, gets this award and they're kind of pouting because, you know, here they did all this work. They didn't get anything. And so the, uh, the, one of the characters who, I don't know if you remember this guy, he would appear from time to time because for some reason, even though we're racing cars, there's crime to be solved. And there was this guy named Inspector Detector. I don't remember. And Inspector him, Detector no. had like, yeah, that kind of this beard, this long beard. And so Inspector Detector, he says, well, Spritel and Chim Chim, here, I have an award for you. And he gives him a trophy. And they're still kind of disappointed. And they're like, well, we kind of were hoping for some candy. But, you know, everybody knows Spread and Chim Chim. They said, well, reach inside the trophy. And sure enough, it's filled with candy. And then everybody's happy. Okay. So you you have Spread and Chim Chim. You also have, as I mentioned, Racer X, which is Speed's older brother who wears a mask. And he is, he is regardless, the greatest racer in the world. But nobody knows who he is. And he's really Speed's older brother who throughout most every episode racer x makes an appearance because he's kind of on the fringe watching speed helping him stay out of trouble he he usually will right before the bad guys are able to come and do something to speed he comes swooping in with his car and kind of you know runs interference for him and he always just shows up at the right time and the reason he became racer x was because he was much like speed a young uh, racing phenom and he had this race where he he would have won the race but he wrecks the car at the end and Pops, of course, Pops, being a hothead as he is, yells at his son and, you know, you know, tells him, you know, how terrible it was. And they get in this big fight and Rex 
runs away from home and he's and he never comes around again but throughout the entire series you racer x is, is a part of the family though they don't know it's him although speed always suspects that okay. racer x is his brother because he reminds him of him okay and then i said there's trixie which is speed's girlfriend and then there was uh, speed's best friend sparky who was the mechanic okay uh you know a, a show that is i think just filled with a lot of uh, pop culture that that Gen Xers elite that grew up at that time love the you know the the Mach Five the, the the famous car which was really ahead of its time. The thing I remember most about Speed Racer was the theme song. Here, yeah, he go. Comes, here comes Speed Racer. He's a demon on right. the wheels. He's a demon and he's gonna be chasing after someone. Right, and so you know it's interesting because that was not part of the Japanese show. You know, okay. the, it, that, that was purely what they created uh, in America. Because in, in Japan, his name's not Speed Racer. It's, I mean, the show was called Mach Go, Go, Go. And, and Speed's actual name was Go Mifuni. Okay. I mean, my Japanese is terrible, but, it, but his name was Go. So, Hi, yes. Yes, so if you, and I never understood why on Speed's shirt there was a G. Okay, I, I he he had he always in the in the like the the one corner of his shirt always had a G, and his helmet always had the M. So right. obviously the, the M was the family name because right. it's it's pops. It's, he owns the the race team. His last name is that uh, that Mifuni, and so the the G is not for speed. It's Go, which was actually his name over in Japan. Okay, so that I mean. That whole thing was just kind of an American thing that that we had, but there was a lot of speed racer toys. You know, there was lunch boxes. There was a lot of uh, kitschy things that were in the pop culture related to speed racer. Sure, and I mean, I do remember watching the cartoons. I can't say I remember because they sort of went away when I was very young. So it would would have hit more of your sweet spot of your age. Oh yeah, when you were able to. Oh watch yeah, it. no, I would have watched this probably. Prime. I'm probably six, seven, eight years old. Mid seventies. Yeah, seventy five. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. where by the time you were starting to watch the after school shows, it probably wasn't on that much. You know, interestingly, you know that you know they've made a Speed Racer movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also come out with kind of a next generation Speed Racer. Uh, you know, so. It's something that's kind of, you know, stayed relevant to a lot of Gen Xers. Well, obviously, Gen Xers, to, to bring a movie back like that, there there had to have been quite a f- few people that viewed it. Right. So there had to be some type of, of um, oh, let's say lasting credibility to the cartoon itself. It, like you said, it ran for, what, one season? It, it, it ran at 52 episodes, yeah. but still just one season. Which is common for a lot of these cartoons, especially the ones that came out after, probably from like the 60s on. You're talking maybe two, at the most, besides like Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny, you're looking at maybe three seasons, right. two, three seasons. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that was Speed Racer. Uh, for me, the, the next uh, cartoon that, that I really liked, and similar to, to Speed Racer for you, Scott, this was a cartoon that... Probably was popular a little bit before you were old enough to, to probably watch as much as what I did. And that would be Rocking Bullwinkle. That was a, a, a show that, as I mentioned, um, you know, it, was, it came from, from the, the creator of the, um, um, Jerry, uh, Jay Ward, who was the creator of Crusader Rabbit. You know, so this was first released in 1959. So it ran from 1959 to 1964. Okay. And, of course, for those who you uh, might remember... Uh, it you know we have this dimwitted moose uh, you know bullwinkle moose 
we have this, you know, the All-American Squirrel, Rocky, I think as Rocky was dubbed, you know, and they're, it's kind of almost like this variety show where they're, they're telling puns, they're telling jokes. There's, there's a little bit of a story going on, but yeah, go ahead. Well, you had mentioned before about the live local programming mm-hmm. where, and you, and you mentioned Woody's Roundup from Toy Story 2. Uh, as soon as you started talking about the way that the, that these kids shows were structured because it, it had several characters. It would usually have some type of a storyline, but, and that's kind of the way Rocky and Bullwinkle was created, right? Correct. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it would start with them and then Rocky and Bullwinkle would go away and then they would have other characters come in and then you would get back to Rocky and Bullwinkle and their story. And then you would have another set of characters, whether it was, um, well, they, and I'll run some of them. Okay, so, so one of the 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 best known little clips that they would have in the middle. So you're right. So they you would have Rock and Ballwinkle, and they were they were the main characters, and then they always had the um, the these villains, uh, uh, Boris Badenov and Natasha Fatali, and and their leader who was just called Fearless Leader, and they were from this this country kind of similar to where we live called Pottsylvania <laughs> and no one really knew what Pottsylvania was and so they kind of had this accent and it wasn't quite Russian Amish um it, it, it wasn't it wasn't quite German <laughs> okay even though at, at one point in the one episode I watched they they say to fearlessly leader Yavol uh you know just like uh you know that you you know like Colonel Clink might have said at some point in Hogan's Heroes hey Rocky Rocky and Bullwinkle the Come on over to the to the water. That's uh, Scott's uh, Pennsylvania Dutch accent that yeah. the Amish would have. So they, you would always have this kind of like theme going on where there was like the story with Rocky and Bullwinkle and their kind of the misadventures and and kind of the, you know the the villains trying to for some reason out to sabotage Rocky and Bullwinkle. Then they would cut away, and then they would have a number of different little features. And mm-hmm. some for me, quite personally, I think I like the features even more than Rocky and Bullwinkle. Okay. But they would have Dudley Durite of the Mounties. And for those of you who might remember, he was this he was a Canadian Mountie and he he much like Bullwinkle, a bit of a dimwit. And he but for some reason he could always come out on top and he would always kind of solve the crime. And you know, Dudley Durite was a was a uh, Canadian Mountie and yes. he was a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. And the, the the women in the cartoon always seemed to to love Dudley, and but Dudley always, like you said, figured out a way to to uh, well, he didn't always necessarily figure it out. It kind of got figured out for him, but he had this kind of this high obnoxious voice. Oh, everybody! That's and exactly that, and that it, was, right? And that yeah. was Dudley Do Right. Yep. Oh, Nell! I think yep. Nell was Nell, the, Nell was the girl that yeah. it, that he would always save. Um, so yeah, Dudley Do Right. And then the, the the next one I really liked a lot, and that was Peabody's Improbable History. And that was Mr. Peabody and his boy Sherman, mm-hmm. which I always thought was interesting. So Mr. Peabody was a dog, <laughs> and he had a boy named Sherman. Yes. And he would always interest, oh, Peabody here, and my boy Sherman. Say hello, Sherman. Yeah. And yeah. and they would go into what was called the Wayback Machine. Right. And then they would go somewhere back in time. Okay. You know, I, I they might go back to ancient Rome when... Uh, you, when Nero was there, they, they, uh, there was one where they went back to, uh, to Florence, uh, to, and it, w- it was to see, uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. So they, they would go back in, in the episode. And it, wouldn't Sherman always go, you know, Mr. Peabody. Cause I just remember that. Yes. Uh, he would do that all the time. Well, what they would do is, is at the end of the episode, they would, 
of course, they'd have to have what was the the moral or the the takeaway okay. from their their trip, and um, there was always a pun, you know. And and usually, you know, of course, Mister Peabody it was deadpanning. He would do the pun, and then then Sherman would go, Mister Peabody. Okay, that, and that that was Sherman and Peabody. Okay. Then they had these things called fractured fairy tales, I, okay. which I really liked. I remember those. Yeah, yeah, so they would be a spoof off of an actual fairy tale. They, but they'd always do like a little twist to it. And they, they had this one where it, it's, it's Sleeping Beauty, right? Of course, Sleeping Beauty is, you know, kind of the, the owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. So who's Prince Charming? Prince Charming is Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually make him look just like Walt Disney with the mustache. And, and as he's like, he goes to save Sleeping Beauty, he's selling tickets. <laughs> To various, they're they're like just just poking I, Walt Disney. I think I'm gonna have to go back and watch this. Yeah, yeah. So that that's really good. Then they have these this other uh, segment called Aesop and Son. I remember, which Aesop. was a takeoff Aesop's Fables, right? Yep. And so it was Aesop kind of talking to his son, and and once again, kind of a a funny little spin on what they would have. They would also have something called Bullwinkle's Corner, where Bullwinkle would try to have high class, so he would recite a poem or a nursery rhyme, and of course he would butcher it. Okay. And then finally, the, the, the one that I, I used to like was Mr. Know-It-All. And Bullwinkle was Mr. Know-It-All. And for those of you who watched the show, you know Bullwinkle was quite stupid. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was Mr. Know-It-All and he didn't really know anything made, you know, made it quite humorous. So, uh, you know, that was a, a show that while it was on, you know, let's face it, 1959, it, you know, early, one of the early shows. Didn't they used to do a little, like a little quick hitter where he would say, Hey Rocky, watch me. Yes, watch me pull a rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, uh, and he and nothing on my sleeve. But it would have like different endings. Yeah, it would have like different. Yeah, I I do that so, part. I remember. So, so he would say nothing on my sleeve. Then he rip his sleeve off. Right, and then he he'd stick his hand in and he pull out a line, or he'd stick his hand and it would go completely through the yeah. hat. Yeah. yeah, so it was always something, and, yeah. and it goes. So yeah, that was it, it. Was always like these these gags. It was a lot of. Old vaudeville, yeah, in a way, kind of like um, Rowan and Martin's laughing. Very much so, very much. And that was kind of the humor of the time. And it was—I thought it was very funny. I—it was so much of it was just over my head as a kid, right? You know, when I went back and watched some of the episode again, I was like, "Really, this was for kids?" (laughs) Because it was a cartoon, but it—it was kind of political, and they—that was what it was kind of known for. It's very smartly written, and they. Just the little jabs, like I, as a kid, I never would have gotten the jab at Walt Disney. But when I saw, and it was actually pointed out uh, in the the, the one um, like documentary that I watched, it, it was. I mean, that just added to the gag. It sure. made, made it so funny. Okay. So, and and little thing that I you know kind of looked at as far as you know you had talked about like um, like uh, who narrated various things. Mm-hmm. So one of the voices, um, the voice of of Rocky. Uh, was an actress by the name of June Foray. Do you know June Foray? No. So June Foray actually ended up going over and working with the Looney Tunes family. And she would have been the voice of Granny. Oh, okay. So in like the the Sylvester Mm -hmm. and and Tweety Bird episodes, she was Granny. Okay. And someone had made the comment about, um, you know, that she was, uh, you know, basically the Mel Blanc of female voice actors. And they said that, I think it was Chuck Jones. Either Chuck Jones or Tex Avery said, no, 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 Mel Blanc is the, is the male version of June Foray. So she did most 
if not all the female characters on Rocky and Bullwinkle, including Rocky, who, who was who was a right. boy. Right. Um, so there was that. And also, if you remember, the the show was very much driven by the narrator. Mm-hmm. And the narrator had this kind of booming voice, up next, you know, and it was... But that was, the, that was normal for the times. If you go back to the, you know, early days of radio, it was, it was always narrator driven. The, the, what was it called? The Great Gildersneer or something like that. That was a, a show on Little Orphan Annie. That was all right. done. That was all, the whole story was brought forward by the narrator. It was. And so the narrator was, and I, I don't know if you remember this actor, he was kind of big in the 70s, William Conrad. Remember yeah, William Conrad? Yeah. He was, he was, he started the show Canon. And then he was the star of Jake and the Jake Fat Man. Jake and the Fat Man. Yes. That's what I was thinking. So yeah. that was that was the narrator for it, and then of course the the you know the famous voice of Bullwinkle. It was performed by Bill Scott, who was one of the creators of the show. Okay. And Bill Scott was not a voice actor. When they were ready to kind of shoot this, the uh, you know the discussion was you know because he obviously creates it. He's doing the voice when they're when they're kind of reading it, and and he said, oh, so who are we going to cast for Bullwinkle? And the other writers were like, well, we thought you were going to do it. <laughs> And he, so he became Bullwinkle, Bullwinkle, even though he was just one of the writers. Yeah. So anyway, so one of my, one of my favorite shows, it, it's something that I, you know, when I went back to kind of review for this episode, I, I really enjoyed watching it. It, and I, um, I think it holds up pretty well. Uh, then my final, uh, show that I really liked, and I don't know how many of you will remember this, but it was a show called Underdog. Now, Underdog was a show that ran from 1969 to 1973 on NBC, and then it went into syndication. And the idea of, of Underdog, it was almost like a spoof of Superman. It was. So Underdog was a dog, and he was in, he was a humble shoeshine boy by day, but when crime would break out, he would suddenly run into a phone booth, it would explode, and he would come flying out, and he was Underdog. And he was, uh, he, he was you know, he had had the song... Um, it, it was not only was it um, kind of a spoof on Superman, a little spoof on Mighty Mouse in a way, but they would say this, and the line that they would recite um, was, uh, "Look in the sky, it's a plane, it's a bird, it's a frog." You know, kind of playing off the uh, the the Superman line, right. "It's a bird, or, uh, it's a, a bird or a plane," and then he would say. Neither bird nor plane nor even frog, just little old me, underdog. Mm-hmm. And then he would always, his line was, there's no need to fear, underdog is here. Right. Okay. And he would speak in rhymes, which I guess I didn't think about at the time as a kid when I watched it recently. I was like, really? He just, he talked, everything was a rhyme. Yeah. Well, Muhammad Ali was popular back then, so. Yeah. So he also had this thing, which was, uh, so the, he, the other main character was this uh, other dog. Uh, sweet Polly Purbred, who was a TV reporter, who was kind of underdog girlfriend, not really, but she would always be the 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 person or the dog that he would go and rescue. Right, and they were the only animals, I think. There in, were there there was the a show. there was some other like one of the villains. Uh, there was a villain by the name of Riff Raff. I remember the name Riff Raff. Riff Raff was a wolf. Okay. Gangster. Okay. Kind of an old timey gangster. Wore the pinstripe suits. Yeah. See. Yes, he talked like that. He kind of had like the, um, if you remember from the the Sopranos, Pauly had like the the wings, kind of like the the gray wings on the side of his head. He kind of had that as a wolf. Yeah, and so he you know he appeared, but for the most part, it was humans. Right, it was. But this humble shoeshine boy underdog, they and couldn't really put it together. 
Thank you, Shoeshine Boy. I think I remember when they, <laughs> when they, after all finished, sir. Yes. Thank you, Shoeshine Boy. Right. Okay. So, in, and I guess I liked it just because it was kind of a, um, a take on, on a superhero, you know, and, and was something that when I was a little kid, I, I really kind of thought it was needed. Combined, you know, the, the, the animal animation, but with a superhero. But you also same format as Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Because yes. they would they would cut away from it and then come back to it throughout the half hour episode. They would, and so Underdog always was shot in four parts. In fact, they would tell you that in the episode, and that it's a you know four part story. And so they would go from you know they'd shoot part one, and then they would cut to another cartoon. And they had a couple other cartoons, and you know. To, throughout that they would uh you know show two that i kind of remember i didn't remember a lot of the other ones but the two that stood out to me was klondike cat and then tennessee tuxedo i remember tennessee tuxedo yeah do you remember who the voice of tennessee tuxedo was it was uh the guy from get smart yes don adams don adams, don yeah. adams from get smart yeah. was tennessee tuxedo and he kind of played he was don adams <laughs> he was as as yeah. maxwell smart from yeah. get smart yeah. very very sarcastic uh, pretty funny it was tennessee tuxedo and chumley Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so Underdog, he was, all right, so he's a superhero. It, he was more like Superman. He doesn't, like, gain power. But in a way, he was a little bit like Popeye. Because you talked about how Popeye had it was your favorite. And for those of you who don't remember, Popeye would, he would get into trouble, then he'd get his spinach out. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he ate the spinach, suddenly he gets super strength and superpower. Well, obviously, the creators of Underdog, they were going to steal from everybody. <laughs> so he would always run out of energy for some reason he would be fighting this this villain and he would get so tired but he had a ring and inside that little silver ring was a super energy pill and he just popped the pill much like popeye with the spinach and he would just take off and within the last 30 seconds of the episode based upon taking the energy ring he would suddenly defeat the villain you know you're talking about the 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 times yeah there were a lot of movies and TV shows, a lot of a lot of pop culture in that early seventies where that was that was a thing, you know, where where adversaries are fighting against each other and the bad guys just beating the good guy mm -hmm. up to no end, and then somehow like in the last like two seconds, right. the good guy would always find a way to win. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh no, you're getting beat up, you're getting beat up. Oh, we won. That's right. And that's kind of how that underdog would. You know, basically be losing the entire episode and then like with a minute left to go he he, he gets takes the pill why didn't he just take the pill off the bat that's a good I, question I, yeah good question i watched an episode uh the other night where he was fighting against these uh cloud people from another planet they were they were literally clouds that were coming to steal all the silver from the earth why do you ask scott do they want all the silver because every cloud needs a silver lining <laughs> so they were literally stealing all the silver from the earth and they would melt it down, and then one by one, the clouds would line up, and they would spray them so <laughs> that each cloud could have a silver lining. Okay. Now, this planet was just filled with gold, this worthless, pathetic gold that did them no good. And, you know, after Underdog, he, he finally, he goes through, through you know, almost, almost being thrown into the furnace himself. Right. Because his, his ring was made of silver, and he, they, they stole the ring, and it, but it got thrown down on the conveyor belt that was going to get melted down with the silver. Fortunately, both Underdog and Sweet Polly Purebred were thrown down and landed right where the ring was. Okay. And then he was able to take the ring, he got his energy, and then he went back. And then they finally figured out, well, why not just take the gold and trade with the U.S. government? 
<laughs> for the silver that was in the U.S. Treasury. Okay. And then that's how they worked it out. And they happily went away? Is they it? happily went away with all their silver because then every cloud was able to have their silver lining. Silver and lining. we, as the U.S. Treasury, we became flush with gold. Okay. And so, we were probably on the gold standard at that time, so okay. you know, that was a good thing. Well, yeah, I, uh, no such thing as prison back then for the cloud people. Right. Nope. So yeah. that okay. that was underdog. That kind of, you know, that ends, you know, my top five. You know, there's a few that I had on my list of my honorable mentions. Uh, is Spider-Man. I mean, that, that, was, that was definitely one that I considered... Uh, Scooby-Doo was he was on the list like you I watched it uh, you know as I said Scrappy when he came on board I, I checked out but you know Scooby-Doo I still will go back and laugh because it's so so silly and then one that I didn't necessarily like the cartoon character as much as the show and that was the Pink Panther where the the Pink Panther character kind of appeared in the old Pink Panther movies mm-hmm. and then they created the Saturday morning show but it was like had the same format as some of the other shows where they would show cartoons uh, you know cartoons of, of, of you know with other characters and i was like uh, aardvark in the ant which was part of the pink panther show so sure. you know that was something that i did watch okay yeah but now now question that i would have for for you is like with what we've talked about do you think these most of these cartoons how how they held up well they still hold up because a lot of them in my, in my opinion they weren't necessarily written for just kids and that's that's probably the, the the lasting effect on a lot of these cartoons. Keep in mind when Looney Tunes was being made, they were being made to be shown in movie theaters. They weren't being shown to children. They right. were being shown to adults. So the your your humor has a more now. There's obviously a slapstick effect to the cartoons because it's a cartoon. Sure. So you're you're hitting your as little kids when we're watching cartoons for the first time. You react to the slapstick. You you know you don't get some of the. But then as you get older, like you said, with the fractured fairy tales, now all of a sudden you're seeing whole whole layers right. to the cartoon that you can appreciate now at an older age. That's why these cartoons, in my opinion, uh, you know, stand up because they weren't written just for kids. I would say of my list, um, most of them are, are ones that I, I would enjoy today. You know, um, as much as I like the Super Friends, probably not something that I'm, I would sit down and, and watch. The, the ones that were maybe written with um, adult viewers in mind as well, to keep it entertaining for the adults as well as the kids? Well, you make a good point there because Super Friends, super friends of all the ones that we have listed here, those were that was the only show that was specifically geared for children for Saturday, Saturday morning. And, and perfect example is the fact that they had characters added just for kids. Right. You know, the Wonder Twins and was it, Marvin the, and Wonder Dog and... Mm-hmm. You know, the, these were not part of the comics. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I think that's that's why these cartoons, why we enjoyed them. And again, uh, the last Bugs Buddy cartoon that was made with Mel Blanc as, as the voice came out in 1964. That's before you and I were even born. But yet, hands down, they're, they're our favorite cartoons of all sure. time. So there's a reason why you know they they have such lasting power to them and and why my kids still love them to this day as well right right like, so like on my list like i said the super friends probably not something i'm going to watch now because you're correct that was geared towards children and then underdog that was a show that was geared towards somebody who was six which i was at the <laughs> sure. time so it, yeah. it mean it it hit my sweet spot and that's probably why i still wanted to kind of honor it a little bit because it's something that i really did enjoy at that age as i got older and I and I watched it again. 
there was there was nothing there for you know the adults to say oh yeah they don't get what's what's happening sure. right now yeah absolutely um you know but they you know they did make a movie uh, about underdog later did. on as well so there's a there was enough people like me that would have had nostalgia you know people that would have been in positions in hollywood that probably looked back fondly at that cartoon and, and thought hey let's make a movie out of it yeah um Okay, so I'll run run through my uh, top five list and then and then yours. Okay. Uh, so my favorite of all time, and and I didn't specifically say just Bugs Bunny. I, I mentioned Looney Tunes. That was number one. Number two was Popeye. Uh, my children refer to our dad. Uh, I specifically got the name from Popeye. They call him Pappy, and uh, so Popeye is my second favorite. Number three is uh, Super Friends. Number four was the original Spider-Man cartoon that came out in the 1960s. And number five are the uh, Peanuts cartoon shorts uh, features that come out at the uh, holidays. So that was my top five, Sean. For me, my top five was uh, number one was Bugs Bunny, hands down, runaway winner. Number two was the, the Super Friends. Number three was Speed Racer. Number four was Rocky and Bullwinkle. And number five uh, coming in, uh, surprisingly, was Underdog. And, and maybe at some point we'll have a conversation, uh, you know, an episode where we'll talk about some of the cartoons that have come out in later years. And But I think we both agree as to why we felt that the cartoons that are our favorites, why they, why they still hold up, why they're still our favorites. Sure. And I think that's the common denominator when we, if, when we start to talk about cartoons that came out in like the 90s when we're referencing like The Simpsons and... Uh, you know, some of the other cartoons that came out during that time. So, uh, you know, hopefully you're listening. And, and if you didn't hear any of our favorites, but I, I think it's you know, pretty consensus. And we never mentioned Disney, which I think is interesting. The fact that Walt Disney uh, cartoons, we, we maybe because Disney wasn't necessarily on TV. Right. So it didn't. I remember watching Disney movies uh, in eighth grade. Our, our eighth grade teacher, Mr. Wanger, mm-hmm. if we were good in class, he would reward us on like a Friday with, uh, and he would show like you know three or four movies of Disney, like Goofy. You know, Goofy does this, Goofy does that, and um, but Disney wasn't something that really was on our radar for you know that three to five in the afternoon time slot for Correct. TV or yeah. Saturday morning. Right, yeah. And, you know, and there's certainly some iconic characters. You know, obviously Mickey Mouse and, and Donald Duck, and you mentioned Goofy. You know, these are these are big characters. And, you know, we, we liked Disney. I mean, mm-hmm. we went down to Disney Disney World right after it opened. Yeah, I was two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You probably don't remember it that I, well. I remember like one or two so, Well, yeah. I was five, you know, yeah. but but still, I mean, that that's how, how, you know, influential Disney still was at at, at that point, early seventies, and um, I mean, we liked it, but for some reason, it just wasn't really in the uh, the universe of what we were watching. Right, and I think at that point, uh, Disney was sort of in the in the process of disassociating themselves with a lot of TV. Now we watched the Magical World of Disney, but that wasn't really the cartoons. That was more their live action, uh, you know, made for TV movies that they would do. You know, Escape from Witch Mountain, sure. and, and uh, what were the Kurt Russell ones? The guy who ate the cereal and became the, super like strong. the world's strongest man. Yeah, uh, you know, those were the things I remember watching on TV. I don't remember the cartoons being shown. Yeah. So, anyway, well, uh, we're going to wrap it up here, and hopefully, you uh, are able to think about some of the mo- uh, cartoons that were your favorites. You know, from from back in the day when you were growing up. 
you know, if you agree with us on, on our, you know, top five choices, and this has definitely been uh, something that you can take down memory lane because, um, uh, as we had mentioned before, we have very similar tastes when it comes, especially when it comes to cartoons. And so our, our lists aren't, aren't that much different. We had uh, some pretty similar ones there. Right. So now with next week, um, do you have a topic? I do. Um, so one thing that we haven't really gotten into too much detail, and, and we mentioned before that we're huge sports fans. So well, we're going to go sports okay. next week. And so I think it's very important. And, in, and a Gen Xer who's into sports would absolutely agree with me because as, as time has worn on, this particular person doesn't get talked about a whole lot, mm-hmm. but yet was such an important part of, of us growing up. So before LeBron, before Michael Jordan. Oh, I think I know where you're going. There was the doctor. The doctor. From the University of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Number six, the captain, Julius we're going to talk about dr j julius Irving next week okay very nice um uh, guy who almost single-handedly kept the aba and nba relevant in the 1970s which is you know and then uh you know going into the 1980s so uh dr j julius Irving is going to be our topic for for next week's episode okay very good all right so hopefully you were able to reminisce about some of your favorite cartoons growing up as a kid and if, you, uh, if you're a big sports fan or want, just want to learn something about Julius Serving, the basketball player, uh, you know, tune into our next episode. So we're going to wrap it up here. We, again, thank you so much for joining into Gen X Playback and very grateful that our audience keeps growing and growing. And we're now more international than we ha- ever have been before. And our listenership keeps going up. So uh, it's awesome. We, 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 we really thank, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, can't can't thank you enough for tuning in. It, you know, being a loyal listener. Uh, so we'll talk to you next time. Uh, Julia Servings, the next one coming up here for Gen X Playback. I'm Scott, and I'm Sean, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. See you.